So the first day of any retreat seems endless, right? Especially if you're somewhat new to this practice, to the retreat form. It's an early start and a long day. And added, adding in the heat of today, the Bay Area people aren't used to so much heat, so we get a little wilty in a day like today. I was just in Arizona where it was 105 and everyone was just cruising along. That was kind of normal, but here this seems quite hot. And there's a lot of adjusting to do in coming on a retreat like this, to adjusting to the schedule, to the practice, to just the situation, the conditions of your room and your work meditation, the meals, and the body adjusting. It's, it's hard on the body. There's a challenge in doing this rigorous practice of sitting and walking. So it's understandable that we can feel a little challenged on, on our first day of practice. But I have to tell you that I know for a fact that you're all doing really well. And you know how I know that? We have a really low bar, and the bar is you're still here. So by definition, you're doing really well, and you're just where you need to be in this retreat. And we call this a metta retreat. It was in the advertising, the description of what we're doing here, metta or loving-kindness practice. But really, it's an everything retreat, because everything gets included in this practice. Um, our metta, of course, and the development of that, but also our anger and our fear and our sadness and our judgments and our tiredness and our irritability. Everything will be touched on, will be, needs to be included. Because what we're doing here is diving into the landscape of the heart, the terrain of the heart that is so vast. And we do that so we train the heart. This is a training, it's a practice and a training to develop the full potential of this heart and mind. We're not creating anything here. It's not like this quality of metta is unknown to you, but what we're doing is allowing its full potential to manifest. And that's really the central part of what we're doing. And all of these other beautiful qualities of heart and mind that come along with that, of patience and kindness and acceptance and care and equanimity. And we'll be talking about these as the retreat goes on. But we're really doing something quite radical here, very different than what's going on out there in the other world, because we're paying attention in this, in this deliberate and uh, caring way to the present moment. How is the body and mind right now? What's happening? Instead of the distractions and the agenda and the busyness and the stress that most of us are involved in in our daily lives, we're being really simple. We're just being here and paying attention. And we'll develop the metta practice out of that sense of presence and caring. Radically different to how even most of us, even if we you know, have practiced quite a bit and have a meditation practice, but still, a lot of our lives is spent in the busyness, right? In the agendas and the, the, the stress. Speaking of distractions, I'm, I'm not at all up on this, but even just reading a little bit of news, even I know about this, that Pokemon Go is like the biggest, latest, what? Fad, distraction. I, I'm not even quite sure what it is. I never played Pokemon. I, I read an article to find out what it is because it's every, you know, it's everywhere. It's, it's more than Twitter, and it's rising. In the, and what it is is these imaginary monsters that you used to play some game with on a device, but the people who made it up had the good idea, well, let's get people outdoors and play this, which is a great idea, but now because people are doing this, they're outdoors and they're falling over and they're bumping into each other. And I just read an article where two, these two guys fell off a cliff. I mean, they're okay, but this is not what we're doing here. Because you know, these imaginary monsters and looking at the world through a device... Here we want to land in this very real experience of mind, body, and heart. That's uh, what we're doing. This is a definition of the Dhamma 
that uh, Heather spoke about last night means the truth, the way things are. This is what we're exploring here. And also cultivating kindness. So presence and kindness. These are the two themes that we'll keep coming back to and referring to as we deepen in our meditation practice here. And this kindness is to everyone and everything. I just saw a a cartoon that depicted some kind of meditation class. And meditation classes, everyone's always sitting cross-legged and they always have their fingers like this. I don't know why. I never encourage anyone to do that. But anyway, that's the scenario. A teacher at the front. But the teacher is saying, and now I want you to send out peaceful, loving thoughts to all sentient beings on the planet who who have exactly the same political, economic, and religious beliefs that you do. That's not what we're doing here either. Really, the, the possibility, the challenge of metta is to expand this capacity of well-wishing that it stretches in all directions without exception. And this will be the arc of our retreat practice. And it begins with metta for ourselves, with this sense of kindness and caring and acceptance for ourselves, which is huge for most of us. Actually, often the most challenging part of the practice is really establishing this sense of well-wishing for ourselves and understanding that that's the place this practice has to start. That's the foundation of this practice. Self-acceptance, self-love, really important. And out of that, a, a deeply felt experience of being loved and accepted by others. Because if we can't love and accept ourselves, we're always um, fearing that we're not loved and accepted by others. So this is, again, the place we begin our practice. There's this beautiful, uh, poignant poem by Hafez, the Sufi poet. He said, admit something. Everyone you see, you say to them, love me. Of course you do not do this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. Still, though, think about this, this great pull in us to connect. Why not become the one who lives with a full moon in each eye that is always saying with that sweet moon language what every other eye in this world is dying to hear? Love me this pull to connect. This is what we'll be talking about as we develop the practice this week. So we begin with metta for ourselves. We work with that as skillfully as possible. Again, we'll give you lots of guidance and instruction about how to do that because it can be challenging. But then we gradually expand. And some of you may know the metta practice. We start where it's easy, Um, the self, what we call a benefactor, someone who's a guide or support, mentor to you, the dear friend. So these are the easy categories. But then we stretch the heart even more, the neutral person, kind of representing all those beings we don't know. Then the difficult person, someone who's challenging for us. And then lastly, expanding to all beings, human, non-human, in all directions. This is the trajectory of this practice. And so we're just going to be swimming in this expansion of the heart this week. This metta to, to those we love and know and are dear, but to all beings, human and non-human. And again, you know, talking about devices, the internet, um, you know, there's many distracting things or you know, frightening things we can read about on the internet, but it also can be a story of a lot of sweetness. And uh, I'm an animal lover, so I often look for these kind of videos when I see them. And I don't know if you saw this one recently. I just saw it a couple of days ago. It's a story with a little video attached of this policeman who was sitting in some kind of park, taking a break, maybe eating something. And he said this big Canada goose came up to his police car and started tapping on it. And he was a little fearful. You know, geese can be quite aggressive, but he rolled down his window and threw out some food. She didn't take it. She just kept tapping and walking away, tapping and walking away. So finally he got out of the car 
and followed her. And she actually led him down to this canal that was near where he was parked and to one of her babies that had its feet wrapped up in the strings of one of those mylar balloons. And it was just kind of lying on its back, flapping. It couldn't move. So this man, this policeman, was not an animal person, was a little unsure and afraid, so he called uh, Wildlife Rescue. They weren't available. So he called another cop buddy, and very quickly this uh, woman policeman came up, and she took it on herself to pick up this little baby. And uh, he's then videoing this, and she's unwrapping very gently the string around the feet. But what's really interesting is the mother goose, who, again, are very territorial, can be very aggressive, is just kind of pacing up and down and doing a little quack every now and then. And, you know, he's kind of looking and worried, the, the policeman and videoing, but she just waits. I've never seen anything like it because she doesn't know what's happened, but maybe she did. And so it took quite a few minutes. She unwraps a string, she puts the little baby down, and they go off into the canal. Did she know to go ask for help? But somehow there was that field of metta. The policeman after that said that was one of the best experiences they've had in their 25 years of policing, to save that little duckling. So there is this field of metta, as much as we might sometimes know that there is the opposite, but there is also the goodness But as we practice metta, we want to keep it really simple. We've been, we usually uh, define or uh, translate this word metta, Pali word, as loving kindness. And I like that because it brings in the kindness flavor, but I think in some ways the kindness is more important um, because its heart is acceptance or friendliness or goodwill. I like this little piece from Ajahn Sumedho. He's one of Uh, Our revered teachers was the abbot of uh, Amaravati Monastery in England for many years. And he says, metta is often translated as love. This word has many meanings for us. We usually connect it with liking. I love pizza, but that means I like to eat it, not I, I have metta for it. With metta, you can love, but you don't have to like Metta includes the opposite of liking, not liking. Liking depends on circumstances or mood. Metta doesn't. When metta is idealistic, it doesn't work. I should love my mother. Or we can send it to all beings but can't feel it for the people we know because we feel we always have to like them, and sometimes we don't. This kind of metta can't include difficulties. When a child is misbehaving, the conditions for liking aren't there, but unconditional love can still be. Liking requires certain conditions. Metta doesn't. We should use ideals like guiding stars to be able to acknowledge current realities which may not be ideal. So I think this is really helpful. Metta is a kind of love that doesn't mean we have to approve or condone or even be liking a particular person or experience. But we can have this sense of warmth or acceptance in this practice. So we leave the busyness of our world to come on a retreat, a retreat here at Spirit Rock, where we undertake the practices of silence and solitude. And again, this is very different than how we normally live our lives. But we recognize that we bring the world with us. It doesn't end at the gate, right? We certainly, we don't bring the people, hopefully we don't bring the emails or the texts, but we bring our hearts and our moods and emotions, responses and memories, that we do bring with us. So how to explore that to actually deepen, that's our work here everything included. We explore our hearts and minds to understand them. Why does the heart contract when this kind of experience happens? What helps it to feel connected and at peace and ease? This is the learning that we do here. We do this practice to heal from trauma, from hurt, from grief, from loss. Very powerful part of this practice.
And we do it to strengthen our hearts, to create more resilience, more capacity, but also to tenderize, to actually become more sensitive. This is what will happen here as we continue this practice. And we deepen in self-understanding and self-compassion. This is what we do. Because it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the challenges of the world, the negativity, the difficulties, the hatred, the prejudice, the cruelty, the injustice, the inequality. It's, I mean, it's, it's really can feel overwhelming at the moment what's going on in the world, in this country, in our communities. But if we actually stay with those experiences, we see at the heart is often fear and selfishness, fear and self, uh, self-centeredness. And it's, a, a delu- it's out of delusion that these, this sense of separation, this sense of othering is created, where the other is to be feared, is bad or wrong, and we know what's right, and there's this sense of divisiveness. This is so much the way of the world of the moment, this comparing and judging and separation. Here our practice is, can we actually stay connected? Stay connected to ourselves through all of the ups and downs that we'll go through on a a period of practice like this. But stay connected outwardly as well. This is not shutting off the difficulties and the challenge of the world, but actually being willing to keep opening, to keep being present, even when it's really difficult. And so often a big part of retreats like this are what we call a purification process. Again, when you think about a metta retreat, it sounds lovely, oh, just to spend 10 days wishing well. How beautiful. Yes, and the way the heart gets to that state or that capacity of being able to be really stretched and opened is when we're willing to be with what's difficult in our inner lives, our past, our memories, our outer experience, the experience of the body. So we'll talk more about this, but this is central to the practice, this process of purification, of being with what's difficult, with as best we can, a gentle, kind attention. So much the heart of this practice, because we can only begin the process of transformation when something is brought into consciousness, brought into our hearts and minds, and held in this field as best we can of metta, of kindness. And so we'll all be on this roller coaster of, we call it periods of purity, where things are going well, there's a sense of ease and flow, and then purification, when there's contraction and difficulty and challenge and the heart and mind are really struggling. But know that this is really essential to this cycle. So to really stick with it, even when it's difficult. I had one student on a retreat recently, he said, this one retreat was worth a year of therapy. I actually think a meta retreat can be worth two years of therapy. Why? Because we're in our own process here. That's why the solitude and the silence are so powerful. We're not trying to you know, be on someone else's schedule or with someone else's process, but our own. And it can be so powerful to take this tender attention and keep attending, attending to what's happening. The beautiful, the, the openings, the joy and then these difficult places. And there are all these supportive conditions to help us. Sangha, as we spoke about last night, the community of sitting and walking with you, sharing this process. It's what Spirit Rock is here for, is to support you. The staff, the caretakers, the managers, the cooks are here very concretely to support you, to make things work. Hopefully they fixed the hot water in the Upeka building. It was interesting, it was in the equanimity building that you didn't have any hot water. I hope you saw the poignancy of that. Um, But they're really here because they care about you, care about this practice. They're here to practice themselves, so feel that support. And then the staff that you don't see, 
but they're also here supporting you, doing the registration and the finance and uh, the programming. So they're all here. The nature. I mean, just to spend this time in this these beautiful surroundings and, and let it heal you, let it support you. And of course, we're all here because we care about this practice, we care about you. So through the meetings we'll have you, both in groups, individual, the teachings that we'll give, this is all here to support this unfolding, all here to support you, each one of you. And when we have that feeling there's kind of a, a conduit that gets opened because we can start to see that what's really true is that metta is all around us. That we're actually supported by metta and joy. If only we know where to look, if that conduit is open. Again, another video story, got from the internet, but a very sweet one. I think this was a few months ago. It was a 106-year-old, African-American woman named Virginia McLaren who got to visit the White House. Did you see that? She said it was her heart's dream to be able to do this and somehow the Obamas heard about it and they made it happen, not just visit. They visited with her. So there's this amazing photograph because they're both you know, beautiful and tall and she's about, I don't know, four foot nothing. And there's this great photograph of the three of them just beaming and I think they end up dancing together. And she said, I thought I would never live to get in the White House and I tell you I am so happy. A black president, a black wife and I'm here to celebrate black history yeah, that's what I'm here for. So it's just, you looked at that picture, that video, and you couldn't help but smile. But then I looked a little about this 106-year-old woman, and it says she's a senior core volunteer at the Roots Public Charter School as part of the Foster Grandparent Program, serving as a foster grandparent and mentor to special needs students. She helps children with her, their reading and social skills. She's volunteered at this school for over 20 years, serving 40 hours a week. So if you ever feel a little tired this week, <laughs> think of Virginia McLaurin and, and just what life, what joy she's manifesting as she goes through the world. And so... There are countless acts of kindness and of joy that don't get reported on, that we don't hear about. But all of us are here because of multiple acts of kindness. Whoever's taking care of your dog or your cat or your goldfish, whoever's filling in for you at work or taking care of your plants or just offering moral support, you can do this. Maybe financial support. We're all here because of that. Perhaps someone at the store, when you were returning something, just did it with such graciousness. Or a visit to the doctor, and everyone was so kind. It's there, it's real. And we need that, because there is so much negativity in the world. But to see how we can choose, and this is what we'll be emphasizing this week, that we can choose... I was always inspired by Nelson Mandela, uh, books about him, the movie Long Walk to Freedom, and just that pivotal period when he was released from those many years in jail, and what the white people in South Africa were afraid of, that he would incite revenge, after, understandably, because of all the cruelties and the injustice in that country during the apartheid years. This is what Nelson Mandela said. We've seen what fear and hatred has done to you, speaking to the white people, how it makes you live and act, and we don't want that for ourselves. Choosing not to go that direction, to see that it's possible, even in the most difficult circumstances, to choose kindness and forgiveness. The challenge, of course, is we have to keep doing that. We don't just get to choose once and then we're good to go. We have to keep choosing in the face of difficulty, in the face of challenge, again and again. And start to really learn for ourselves this 
natural state of the heart. Again, not creating anything. But when the heart isn't contracted, when it isn't making this separation into self and other, right and wrong, it's a natural state, the natural expression of the heart. And so we explore this over and over again by being willing to feel what we're feeling and not move into judging and comparing right and wrong. But really this kind of tenderness And the kindness comes a lot from empathy. Empathy, like compassion, means to feel with. And often what we're feeling with, with empathy, is someone else's suffering. Feeling with. And the the essence of the metta, especially as we expand it to other beings, is knowing that all beings share this wish to be safe, to be happy. Just as I wish to be happy, you and all beings wish to be happy. So we find again this um, innate response as we make this connection of empathy. Um, this is what we can do. As the Buddha said, Hate, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone is healed. This is an ancient and eternal law. We start to really see that for ourselves through this practice, through looking very clearly at our experience. So we come back again and again to well-wishing. We began this process this afternoon of saying the phrases, uh, arousing the intention to well-wishing. And we'll be talking about all the different ways that practice can unfold, the different supports we can have. One that my dear friend James Barras, who often teaches this retreat, with us, talks about is what he calls the metta mudra. And that's just this. Just putting your hand on your heart, especially when things are difficult, when you feel contracted. And it's amazing, even though you know it's your hand, something softens. There's something in that gesture that just lets us be with, touch, open to whatever's going on. So really recommend this metta mudra. And again, we'll probably include it in some of the teachings we give. And mudras are powerful. You know, this is the touching the earth mudra. I love that one of just, I, I have a right to be here. The earth is my witness, my sincerity, the power of my intention. Touching the earth mudra. There'll be a hand on a cheek holding your hand, even even this. This is so meaningful, powerful, because it's the, gest- it's the intention behind it that's really key. And then we just let that in. So as we introduced this afternoon, the foundation of our practice are these phrases of well-wishing. Very simple phrases. And if it's the practice is new for you, you might have the question, why? Why should I repeat these same phrases over and over and over again? You know, you, you mean you want me to say what? For how long? And it's like these phrases all the time, morning, noon, and night. Why? And the simple answer is because it works. Because it works. It's a form of programming. I, I don't like to use this word, but it's kind of a brainwashing. You know, that's how we do it. You just say it over and over again, and it starts to literally rewire the brain because the words have a meaning. And you pair the meaning with the intention behind it, the intention to well-wishing, and it's powerful. And it's instead of what we're doing is replacing the usual self-obsession, fears, worry, and dare I say it, drivel, that we usually fill our minds with, the endless chatter, the monkey mind. We're replacing that with these words of well-wishing and sincerity of intention. And even if you're not feeling filled with metta, believe me, you are going to have many moments, if not longer, that you're not filled with metta. It's just inevitable. You can't sustain that. And there's no metta switch. You just turn it on and then again, it's all great. No. The power of this practice is coming back to this intention and saying the phrases no matter what. 
saying the phrases no matter what you're experiencing. My other dear friend and colleague, Carol Wilson, she's always giving these throwaway lines, but they're they usually are funny and meaningful. She says, fake meta is better than real aversion any day. And it's true. Even, you know, fake it until you make it. It's true here. Just keep trusting and saying these phrases. It'll drive you crazy at times. We know that. And then you take a breath and you start again. This is what we do. So the origin of this practice um, is in the teachings of the Buddha. And it's said that um, as, as his community of monks uh, grew, every year they would have what they called the rains retreat, where um, it was the time when people would plant the rice fields and they didn't want the monks going around walking in the paddy fields. So they would all settle in a certain place and they'd find their different spots, not often in buildings, out in nature. And so this group of monks went to this beautiful forest and started to practice there. And it said, and this is very all throughout the... Um, Buddha's text, there's a lot of, um, there's a whole Buddhist cosmology with these different beings in different realms, and in this forest there were tree spirits who lived in the trees. And at first they were quite happy to have the monks there practicing. The monks were very sincere, and the tree spirits were looking down and enjoying their practice. But then they realized they weren't going away. They were there for three months or whatever. So the tree spirits got very, um, what's the word? territorial, and didn't like this intrusion into their beautiful forest. So they started to do everything to make the monks unhappy there. They made smells and noises and frightened them in any way they could. And so the monks all picked up and ran back to the Buddha and said, we can't practice there. It's scary. It's inhospitable. They don't want us. They don't like us. And the Buddha said, said that he looked over the area with his omniscient gaze and found that that was the most optimum place for these monks to practice in. He said, no, you have to go back there, but I'm going to give you a protection. Go back there and do this practice. Do the practice of metta. Have your main practice be wishing well with these phrases of caring. So the monks went back, the tree spirits got all agitated, but then they realized that the monks were actually sending them well wishes and kindness and love and care. And as these stories always do, tree spirits got very happy, supported the monks in their practice, and all of the monks came to some degree of enlightenment, happily (laughs) ever after kind of thing. So that's the beginning of the practice. It was seen as a protection, as a refuge. If we do this, we actually find an inner safety. It doesn't mean the world necessarily changes. Um, but this is how it begins. And so that's why I wanted you, we're going to chant this this evening, but to talk about this, this is the Buddha's teaching on loving kindness, the Buddha's words on loving kindness. And it starts with, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Um, Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. So this is really describing the attitude we can bring to this practice. Skilled in goodness. We start the practice by reflecting on goodness and to see that goodness is a skill that we can learn, and that having the intention, reflecting on it, cultivating, we can actually deepen and grow. And we know the path of peace, of really wanting the agitated mind and heart to quieten and calm. And as we care for ourselves, we realize, as I said before, that all beings have the same wish for safety. And so we actually are on the path of peace, of caring and bringing more peace into the world. And so this is a description of a wise and sane person. Don't we all want to live like this? Contented, easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways. And then the practice, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. 
Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, rating kindness over the entire world. And this is where it gets a little harder. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. But this is what the Buddha is talking, this intention. And of course we'll get sleepy and tired and grumpy, but we keep coming back, we keep reorienting, we keep having this shift to come back to kindness, sustaining this recollection. And this practice, this is the sort of... um, the simple version of it, it got refined as the years went on and people developed it. There's a beautiful, uh, a powerful text called the Vasudhimaga, the Path of Purification, where they really deepened in the understanding and the practice of metta and used it for deepening and concentration. And so developed these phrases that we're inviting you to use and these different categories of being, self, benefactor, friend, neutral person. So really made the practice very expansive and complete. But what I love about this sutta is that it is this um, depiction, this description of the practice that we're doing, uh, talking about this, you could say almost relative sense, really honoring our hearts and minds, that we want to be safe and happy and wish well to all beings, and that other beings want that same feeling of safety and love. But then it ends with, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desire, is not born again into this world. Again, this is a reference to the Buddhist cosmology about the possibility of ending what they would call this cycle of samsara, of this birth in the human realm and being born in one of the heavenly realms. But if that isn't something that's meaningful to you, you can actually take this as a practice or an experience that happens here and now in this realm because when the mind is filled with metta, when we're actually on this path of peace, where that's our intention and that's how we live our lives, our hearts and minds are transformed so that the world itself is different. We view the world differently. We are differently in the world and therefore it's a different world. So it doesn't have to be about different cosmologies and being born again in the heaven realm. But this very practice can so radically shift our hearts and minds that the world itself becomes changed to us because we are changed as we move through the world. And so that's an important part of this practice is that it's not, a selfish practice. Even as we're starting with metta for ourselves, then that's such an important foundation. Even as we're spending this time in solitude, in, as I said, in a way, stepping out of the world and our relationships, the power of this practice to transform our hearts and minds is a gift that we give our friends, our families, our colleagues, We basically give it to the world. Certainly when we leave the retreat, but even as we're here, the very fact that there's close to 100 people spending this time at Spirit Rock practicing metta, there's ripple effects that you can't conceive of. You know, as I said, it affects the staff. They have the feeling, they, they can sense the practice that's going on here, and there's a warmth and an appreciation of that. So there's that kind of more literal effect. But people who couldn't come on this retreat, who wanted to be here, perhaps they registered and they had to cancel, many people know that you're sitting here practicing metta. And that has an effect. So all of these unseen ways in which this practice really ripples out, even while we're here in the simplicity and the solitude of the retreat. So it's a powerful practice. So we sort of use the connection to the other, but it's not about their transformation. We can't know what effect our practice will have. 
but we can know, we can return to, we can deepen the connection to here and now to ourselves. And that's the essential part of this practice. And there's another aspect of the metta practice that we'll probably talk more about later in the retreat, but it's actually a concentration practice. In the steadiness and the repetition of the phrases, the mind gets collected and unified. And I'm using this word concentration to translate a Pali word, samadhi. We usually translate it as concentration, but in English, concentration has a kind of narrowness and almost, you can almost feel a tension in the word, you know, don't disturb me, I'm concentrating, a pushing away of experience and a narrowing down. The Pali word samadhi doesn't have that meaning. It really means um, collected or unified or undistracted. And so as we keep creating the intention to develop this sense of well-wishing, the mind gets unified and connected to the feeling, the intention, and the phrases of metta. And it actually strengthens and deepens the capacity of the metta. And this... um, a, a concentration can deepen to states we call jhana, deep states of absorption. So metta is one of the classic ways that we teach deeper states of absorption. It can be very powerful because it's this kind of two-for-one package where we get the beautiful qualities of the heart of the metta and this steadying and this deepening that can happen. And so all of us can benefit from that. You know, we might all be in different places in our metta practice, in our concentration practice, but this retreat will definitely deepen it for all of us, whatever our experience is. And the beautiful effects of concentration are that it reduces the hindrances and fear and anxiety, which again, you know, as that happens, the metta can deepen, as the metta deepens, the samadhi deepens, so there's a beautiful flow um, that can happen here. You don't have to effort to make this happen. It's not like striving works. It doesn't. Just being here, being in the flow of the retreat, being in the silence and the simplicity, these qualities will naturally develop. So it's another support or... Um, benefit of keeping the phrases going as gently and as kindly as you can when these come together. And then metta, I think has already been said, is one of what we call the Brahma-viharas. We usually, it's again a Pali term that we translate as divine abidings. Brahma is one of the heavenly realms, one of the gods of the heavenly realms. And vihara just literally means a home or dwelling place, particularly a a place where people who are practicing might stay. So this is a vihara. In some ways it's a divine, heavenly vihara. It's pretty pretty beautiful here as a supportive place of practice. It might be, you know, the most beautiful place ever, but for a practice place, it is beautiful. Sharon Salzberg, who I mentioned last night, she's written a great book on metta, likes to translate this as our best home. This is the best place that we can rest the heart and mind. So these other, metta is the first of the Brahma-viharas, the others are the names of our buildings. Uh, Karuna or compassion, mudita, loving, uh, sympathetic joy, uh, appreciative joy, and upeka or equanimity. And so we'll be cultivating each of those in the afternoons in the four o'clock sitting as the retreat goes forward because they really create this beautiful map of the responsive heart. That uh, with metta as a foundation, the sense of kindness and acceptance, when the kind accepting heart meets suffering, it just flows into compassion. When it meets joy, it radiates with happiness and delight. And there always has to be some degree of equanimity or steadiness so that we stay connected, so that we stay present. So they're a beautiful map of the possibilities of the heart, these appropriate and beautiful responses of the heart. So this is, again, what we'll be cultivating this week. We'll also teach forgiveness practice to heal the heart of its wounds and its hurts and gratitude practice. So it's a rich week. 
with a lot of teaching, a lot of um, experiences, will keep coming back to simplicity. Can't emphasize that enough. If ever you get lost or confused, just sit or walk and breathe. And know that if there's a degree of kindness or the intention towards kindness, you'll be deepening the metta practice. But really, to get a sense of the possibility of this path, that it's amazing. It's challenging, it's rigorous, it's tiring, and it's profound and deep and transformative. Maya Angelou says, Love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. And I would almost say faith rather than hope. This capacity of the heart to transform, to open, to stay connected, to stay loving and resilient, even in all the ups and downs. Again, I get a lot of good stuff from people on retreat because this practice really touches them. And on another retreat, a student wrote a note. She said, instead of applying for Medicare, we should all be applying for Metacare. (laughs) And this is the practice of universal coverage of kindness, pervading all quarters of the world with Metacare. This is the kind of care we want, without discrimination or conditions. And she said, metta is an optimistic practice. People can be happy. People can be safe, well, and happy. This is the promise, the possibility of metta care. And I'm here to say this practice works. I know I've done months of this practice, and it's really transformed my heart. And we're all here because this practice has worked for us and transformed us. And as I said, it's rigorous, it's difficult, it's challenging. I don't want to underestimate or deny that. And you'll feel, you'll have struggles. There's no question, all kinds of struggles. But really know you can borrow our faith. We're here because of our faith in this practice. And that faith is that it's possible to be happy to have a heart that's resilient, that's tender, that's strong, that can stay connected and be open and loving. And I I don't want to idealize here because we'll all get contracted and fearful and there's times for, you know, fierce compassion. But just this basic attitude of caring and of kindness and to know that this is possible for all of us. I can be happy, you can be happy, we can be happy. This is the promise and the practice of loving kindness. So there's all, in, in, in these teachings in the evening, got a lot, often a lot of concepts, ideas. The main practice as we come to the end is just to let them go. They're recorded, you can listen After the retreat, you don't need to write things down or remember them. Whatever's touched you has touched you and you can hold that in your heart. Everything else you can just let go and know it's there if you need it. And so we always take a few minutes at the end of the teaching just to sit in silence, just sit comfortably. You don't have to move your posture if you want to get more comfortable. And we just let the words settle. So it's not about, you know, critiquing or judging or wondering or holding on, but just sitting and breathing, again with that attitude of kindness and of care.
thank you for your attention. We have a little over 35 minutes for some mindful walking practice. It's always nice this time of day. It's getting a little cool outside. You might want to get a cup of tea or something or just stretch. And then we have our last sitting, formal sitting of the day at 9 o'clock where we'll chant the Metta Sutta together. So encourage you if you still have some energy to come. And it says half an hour. We'll make it a little shorter this evening because it's been a long day. So encourage you to come and join us. Chanting together is a nice way to share our voices and brings a little bit of energy and sweetness to the end of our day. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.